this week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. No, I didn't know you were into hot goths. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season six, episode 21 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Driving Miss Gilmore. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, two to go. I mean, we're in the final stretch of the season. Both episodes are good. Both episodes made us want to just immediately watch the next one. Yes, this is the part of the season where we fight, because Brian just wants to watch the next one. I was like, Brian, no, no, no. Stacy's got these dumb rules, like, we should do the podcast first. What? What? Why? Just let's watch. We can just binge season seven, and then we'll do one podcast at the end, and everyone's happy. <laughs> People like to know our thoughts when they're raw, when we aren't tainted by the next episode. <sighs> My emotions are raw. I need to know what's going to happen to my characters. You'll be fine. Okay. Am I going to be fine? Because I feel like this season's headed somewhere I'm not excited about Gilmore-wise. We'll see. I'm worried that Luke is going to have to do some trials. It's going to... I don't know. We all have trials, baby. Okay. We've been watching a few other shows that we're excited about, too. Yeah? You guys watching these shows? Watching Los Spookies, very funny show from HBO. Not a new show, but we're watching that. Yeah, so we watched the first season of that a while ago. It's mostly in Spanish. It, it's just bizarre. Like, the reality is doesn't really make sense a lot of the times. Yeah, it's almost surreal. But the jokes are, like, solid. Fred Armisen is in it. But yeah, I recently read that the show is canceled, but also that a second season had come out that we were unaware of. So we've been watching the second season of that. Very short, like six episodes a season. We've also been watching Mayfair Witches on AMC. Yeah, which is based on the uh, old Anne Rice books, The Witching Hour and Lasher and Taltos. I uh, read those when I was a kid. It's weird. I read those. I read Anne Rice probably when I was far too young to be reading Anne Rice. I read these in seventh grade. I haven't read the books, but some of the material seems a little dark for a 12-year-old. Yeah, dark and sexy. It's got a lot of sex in it. I think it was like the first book series I read where I was like, oh, it's not like alluding to sex. We're like talking about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have read those books, but they get uh, naughty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about it, but I'm, I'm excited by it so far. And we're very excited about The Last of Us. Yeah. Loved the game years ago when I played it. And now the show looks like it's going to be great, too. The pilot's like a movie. And yeah. It was very good. I haven't played the game, but I watched you play a decent amount of it. So I, I understand kind of what's going on with it. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like the game lends itself well to like a 10 episode show. Yeah. Wait for those giraffes, baby. <laughs> That's also on HBO. Let us know if you're watching any of those shows. We can talk about them as they are. It's weird because we like binging shows. Like, we'll throw on a couple episodes of something every night. We just finished Lock and Key, which no one's seen. If you have, let us know. We can chat about that. But now we're watching shows that are, like, airing, so we have to wait a week, and it's weird. I hate it. It's bad enough we gotta wait to do podcasts for Buffy. I also have a show, a live one, if you guys want to come see. It's still my same show, How to Restaurant, but still changing a bit. Whole new cast this time, couple brand new sketches, changing up some other stuff. If you've already seen it, it'll be kind of new. If you haven't seen it yet, it's at Caveat on February 8th at 9.30 p.m. Link in the episode description. We have a couple five-star reviews. We do. Thank you so much to Caso Lamags and Buffy Lover. Thanks, guys. 
Buffy lover loves the charm segments. Really? And they say, boy, you guys are super on point with your episode summaries. I figured that we more or less probably were doing identical summaries to what actually happened on the show. They do have a little giggle emoji right after that, so maybe... Weird. Maybe that's a lie, but I'm going to assume we do. Yeah, I think it just makes sense that we do. Also, they say they hope that we do Angel too. Now, they're only on season three, which is maybe why they don't know that we are doing Angel. But by the time they get to this podcast, maybe they'll have figured that out because we talked about it a while ago. But if you are skipping around and don't listen to every podcast, we are also doing Angel on our Patreon. It's a little different. It's not a podcast. We do like a video recap right after we watch it. It's a little more loose, just kind of recapping the episode, sharing our thoughts. Not as long as the podcast. But if you want to hear our thoughts on Angel, come over to Patreon. We also put out monthly outtakes from the podcast. We also do a watch party every month where we either watch some old episodes of Gilmore Girls and Buffy or we'll watch whatever episodes we're watching that week for the podcast. And every Tuesday or Wednesday, we share a three-minute teaser for the following week's podcast. Yeah, so check that out. I just want to get into the episodes. There's so much going on. I'm so excited about this. Let's just dive in. Let's dive in. This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us all about Driving Miss Gilmore. Okay, I will. What's it about? This episode is about Lorelai having to spend some time with her mother because of something that happens. We'll get into that. It's also about Rory dealing with some anger issues because of something that happens with Logan's father and also about Logan getting better. Yeah. And it's about weed. It is about weed. So the episode starts, great opening. It starts with Lorelai and Rory at Friday night dinner having a silly fight about an actress's hair. It's all very funny. And Emily at some point just says to take their food away. Take their spaghetti and meatballs away because whenever they have spaghetti and meatballs, they fight. And the girl's like, no, we don't. We fight the same when we have Chinese food. And then Richard comes out and sees that his food is gone. And then he gets mad and says that he told Emily not to serve spaghetti and meatballs because he knew this would happen. He loves spaghetti and meatballs. This whole little opening is, is pretty cute and well done. It's one of the better ones, I think. Richard, by the way, is rocking a sexy hair swoop. Something's different about his hair for sure. Yeah, I don't know. man. I couldn't resist it. It looked great. It is swoopy. Yeah. Also, I don't know, but I would suspect the person they're arguing about is Ashley Simpson. You think so? I feel like she went from blonde to brunette and she had a sister. Yeah. Just a hunch. I don't know what she was up to at this time. If anyone knows or suspects anything different, let me know. Emily announces that she's going to have LASIK eye surgery. And she's got Dr. Morris, uh, no relation to myself. You don't know. Uh, the best eye doctor, apparently. And he's also very handsome. When she says this, Richard's like, whoa, whoa, what? Why would someone say that? He's obviously kind of annoyed that this doctor is also very handsome. <laughs> he even says, like, everyone knows ugly men make the best doctors. <laughs> I that was very funny. He doesn't even want to talk about it anymore. Probably because he knows he'll have to, like, crash his car into the doctor if he gets any more jelly. He can't keep doing that. Yeah. Lorelai keeps calling him Dr. Handsome because, you know, Lorelai likes to start little fights with people. Richard and Emily also announced that they, you know, just happened to have lunch with Christopher recently. They got together and wanted to bury the hatchet with him and make sure they're all good since he's going to be in their lives now. Which Lorelai points out, like, he's not going to be any more in your life than he used to be. Right. Like, he's paying for Rory's school. It has nothing to do with them. Yeah, that's Emily's excuse. Like, well, he's paying for Rory's school now. Are you guys meeting to talk about how he pays it for all the time? It's just to smooth things over, I guess. But this all makes, I have questions about Emily's motives for all of this. We'll talk about that later. Like off the podcast? Are you mad at me? No. <laughs> We're going to talk about this later, Stace, about Emily's motivations, okay? Okay. 
There's one more announcement, too. Emily and Richard have decided to use all the money that they've been saving by not paying for Rory's tuition for a donation to Yale in Rory's name. And they're all excited about this because they're going to be able to have her name on a building. With Rory's like, okay, that might be a little weird if I'm going there and there's like a building with my name. But they're not listening anymore. They're just excitedly listing building names she could be on, like the Rory Gilmore Library or whatever. And then the scene ends with them just like excitedly listing name after name after building. They land on library and then they keep going. It's like, no, library's the answer. What else yeah, library is clearly the best option, but they probably already have libraries too. Well, yeah. Fun opening. I loved it. Classic good Gilmore opening. Good Friday night dinner opening. I liked it too because it was silly. It was fun. It played with a bunch of fun character dynamics, but like at the end of the day, like no one fought. It was it was just fun. It was long. Not in yeah. like a bad way. It was just a longer one. It had more plot stuff in it than yes. usual. And there was a lot of exposition, but it seemed to come out naturally and quickly. Sometimes those openings have nothing to do with the plot. Right. Rory and Logan have made up since his accident, and everything's great. And she has put herself in charge of Logan's recovery and convalescence. She's, like, super overprotective. She's wheeling him out of the hospital in a wheelchair and, like, talking to the doctor. She keeps telling Logan to hush while the doctor gives Rory advice on how to get Logan well fast. She and Dr. Schultz are on great terms now. He says to go ahead and call him if she has any more questions or anything comes up. So the policy at this hospital is all or nothing information-wise, I think. Brian hates the rules of this hospital. (laughs) But they're setting this up that Logan's being discharged from the hospital. He's going to get better. And Rory's going to be this like helicopter girlfriend making sure that he doesn't hurt himself again. It shows that she cares about him and that they're they're good together. They're like they're good again. There's like a sweet moment where he like pretends something's wrong with his throat. So he can kiss her. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a trick to get her down to kiss him. And he says, thank you for being who I want to get out of the hospital for. That's nice. Yeah. At the end, Michelle is jogging in place because he's accidentally been putting 2% milk in his coffee instead of non-fat milk for the last two weeks. So obviously he's morbidly obese now. He's not at all. He doesn't look anything different. But he's like, I've consumed about an extra billion calories. Those are his words. So he's just like jogging in place. And this is like a running bit where he's just like trying to sneak in little exercises to work yeah. off those extra calories. <laughs> he's like showing people into the inn and like when they're not looking, does some squats real quick. Yeah, there's a point where they turn around and he does a bunch of pull-ups on this luggage cart that we've never seen in the show. (laughs) I don't think it even really works with the stairs they have coming in. It's super funny because he just does a bunch of pull-ups when they're not looking. I loved it. This, like, caloric difference, I think, could be taken care of in, like, one workout. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I don't know. 2% milk. The amount that you put in coffee isn't that much more milk that it would, like, really matter that much. He did say he had more coffee because it tasted so good. But still, I feel like it's a matter of like 500 calories over two weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's neurotic, so it's probably he doesn't notice any difference, but he's just afraid it's happening. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, it's super funny. He's jogging next to Suki while she's cooking, and Lorelai's like, doesn't that bother you? And she's like, nah, it's kind of like having a Beyonce video on. (laughs) That was funny. Lorelai asks him, like, why didn't you just check the milk before you used it? Yeah, they, like, like, switched the top colors or something. Yeah, there was an accident that the bottle caps were switched. And then he's just all like, oh, you just know everything, don't you, little miss? I know everything. It's so funny. Michelle could be so funny in the episode, even though he's a lot. Luke calls, and he says they haven't seen each other in a while. And he was, like, hoping they'd get together today sometime. And Lorelai's like, oh, uh, I don't know. She gets super evasive. And she's like, she wants to hang out, but she's been so busy, you know, with Michelle and the milk. And Luke's all like, well, I didn't know about Michelle and the milk. <laughs> I didn't know about Michelle's milk. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell if Luke was being sarcastic or if he was just like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I, me either, honestly. Either way, it's funny. 
Then she's like, oh, and there's like a staff meeting tonight. And immediately Michelle and Sylvia are like, what are you talking? There's no staff meeting. They start freaking out because they didn't know about a staff meeting. This is all a lie. And it's just to not have an excuse to not be able to spend time with Luke that day. And she's like, yeah, I can't tonight. And he's like, okay, maybe tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, 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 maybe. And they hang up. Before Suki can, like, grill Lorelai about why she just lied to Luke, a very panicked Jackson comes in and quickly whisks her away to talk about something important, very urgent. Jackson makes Suki sniff him because he smells like weed. Why is that? Well, apparently some field hands he recently fired, the Templeton brothers, who are incredibly dumb, I guess, like super dumb. And he had told them to weed this back garden that he, like, never goes to right before he fired them. And what they thought he meant was to plant weed back there. So now he's gone back to this, like, disused plot of land, and he found a bunch of weed. And he's, like, freaking out because if the cops were to find that, he's technically in possession of it, and he could, like, lose everything and their lives would be ruined. Where do they even get that many weed seeds? I, you know, I don't know. They might not be hard to get a bunch of them. I really don't know. Yeah. So this is going to be a running bit through this episode about them panicking about needing to get rid of this weed before the cops come. I don't think I've seen a single police officer in Stars Hollow, but theoretically one exists. There's a female one I've seen a couple times. I believe you. They decide to use the word pickles as code word for pot so they can talk about it, which is also a running gag. But at the end of this conversation, she's like, all right, Jackson, we got to go back, but we got to act normal. We can't freak out. We can't let people know something's wrong. Just act relaxed and calm. And Jackson's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then immediately the two like bump into each other and Jackson just like collapses into a table and knocks over someone's drink that shatters on the ground. And then he just like walks away kind of like nothing happened. (laughs) Very, very funny. So this this whole weed storyline just sort of happens in the background. I actually wish they did more with it. It's like we get a couple like very quick scenes. Jackson like removes all the weed from the land, but then doesn't know what to do with it. He's just stuffed all the weed into some giant trash bags. And those are just like stacked on their dining room table now. And they're like, we got to do something. It's like making the entire house reek of weed, which it definitely would if it was that much. Yeah, he said it was starting to make it smell. I was like, that would have smelled immediately that much. Yeah, a lot. So, like, towards the end of the episode, like, super late at night, we see them, like, hurriedly running and stumbling through town, trying to throw this away somewhere secret. But they're just, like, running right through the middle of town, like, through the gazebo. I'm, I'm kind of confused exactly what the layout is for this. But they're just, like, hiding from everyone. Not that anyone's going to be like, what's in your bag? They run into the town troubadour, who's like, hey, guys, I just got, like, recognized by a tour manager who came across me, and now I'm going to be opening for Neil Young. They're like, cool, cool, cool. And Suki's like, he probably smokes weed, right? Jackson's like, he's got his own supply. Yeah, Neil Young, who like a famous musician, probably yeah, has a hookup already. Yeah. So the Troubadour, they were going somewhere with this. Yeah, so the Troubadour, they set him up in this episode, too. There's a scene where he's just playing again. We had that last week where there's just like a 30-second scene of him playing and people just generally seeming to enjoy him playing. And we have another one of those, but apparently it he was a hit, and now he's going to go open for Neil Young. Good for him. I will tell you, spoilers, that plotline is not quite done. I suspected it was not. I suspected we're coming back to that. That we spent too much time on it. Anyway, so they're running through the town with these giant trash bags full of weed. They run into the troubadour, but then they also run into the town's rabbi and pastor who are taking a late night stroll to talk about God. This is super funny. It's like that scene in American Pie where everyone walks in on him masturbating. And they're just like, like, of course they're running into the religious figures of town. We don't see them get rid of the weed, but I assume that they do. Yeah, where are they taking it? They don't really say what their plan is. Are they just going to leave it somewhere? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this would be something you throw in the back of a truck and take it. You don't carry it with you. I remember thinking this storyline was pretty funny, but now it almost just seems sort of like dated and prudish. Oh, totally, yeah. 
Just because it's legal most places. I mean, having that much probably would still be a bit of a problem, but I also feel like you could just like give it away to some people <laughs> at this point. You know, like the cops wouldn't be quite as strict about it. I also have no doubt if the, if you like called the police and were like, listen, there's a bunch of yes. weed in my land. I did not plant it. And I'm calling you guys before anything happened. I'm sure the cops would come and be like, yeah, someone probably planted it on your land. Yeah. Like when it's still in the ground, you're telling them it's all there. It's not like you've sold any of it. Not to mention, I doubt the Stars Hollow police are like super militant. They'd probably just be like, cool. Yeah. I just feel like this storyline wouldn't happen now. Yeah, it's not like offensively out of touch or something like that. It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I guess someone would care about weed. <laughs> we also live in New York where, like, even before it was legal here, like, every time you went outside, it smelled like weed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a small town. At the diner, Luke tries to take Kirk's order, but Kirk doesn't really care about his order. He just wants to talk about his new beard. I had to, like, squint to see his beard. Is it, is it supposed to be, like, an? it's barely there. It looks more like an intentional five o'clock shadow. <laughs> He's just, like, very happy about his beard. He's talking to Luke about it. Luke keeps trying to move along his order, and Kirk's just talking about how much he loves his new beard because he accidentally wrote all over his face with the marker, and Lulu liked the look, so now he's going for it. How much marker did he get on his face? Yeah. Kirk looks like he could be that little guy that's in the magnetic toy where you, like, drag the little magnetic chips. It's probably a job he had. Yeah. Liz shows up, and she's super excited because, one, she just made a bunch of money selling her jewelry at those fairs. Two, she's also got a beard. <laughs> TJ. No. <laughs> I was joking. Yeah, because she's pregnant. Oh. Yeah, and so Luke is also excited for her, but she says this time it's going to be very different. It's not going to be like the last time she was pregnant when she was binge drinking. Whoa. Big reveal. <laughs> Which maybe explains a lot about Jess, maybe. Then Liz just sort of casually mentions that TJ's gone and out of her life. Now, the writing here is pretty good, and I've noticed this about Gilmore Girls before where you've got to like, watch it a second time to like catch it. Like, Luke says, like, TJ left you, and she's like, he left, which makes it sound like she's agreeing with him, but, like, she isn't actually saying he left her. Liz says she's not worried about TJ being gone because she's got this new come-what-may, roll-with-the-punches kind of philosophy attitude for whatever. It's kind of funny because, like, Luke tried this attitude out once, too. Like, there was an episode where he was like, whatever, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. She specifically says something like, if a bus comes right at you, which happened in the last Buffy episode. Oh. And Willow didn't move. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, that's an episode off. But Liz insists to Luke, even though he's freaking out about TJ, she insists she's fine and she wants him to be calm for the baby because that's what's important. He's like, okay, cool, I'll be calm. Makes her an omelet. But Luke is uh, not going to take this line down. He goes and finds TJ. TJ's drinking at a bar by himself. Luke wants to fight, but TJ uh, is very calm and doesn't want to fight. So Luke's like, well, you know, I just don't want to punch you while you stand there. Like, try to fight me, fight me. But TJ's like, no, I don't have anything against you. Like, and also, why are you mad at me? He's so sweet. Yeah. TJ oscillates from being, like, just unbearably ignorant to, like, well, he's a nice guy who cares about Liz. It seems like Liz lied or at least omitted some information about TJ. He didn't exactly abandon her or the baby. What happened is she freaked out when she got pregnant and she kicked him out. When she found out that she was pregnant... She probably had like a panic attack and started telling TJ that he wouldn't be able to raise the kid right. It would grow up with no discipline and then they'll have to send it away. And it's very clearly obvious to us that she's like having the same fears of what happened to Jess. And she's afraid that's what's going to happen again. And Luke picks up on this. He's all like, okay, she's projecting her own fears about herself on you right now. And she tries to explain it to TJ, but those are way too big of concepts for TJ. So TJ's just going to take his word for it. 
I think it's also doubly sweet here that TJ says that he left only because Liz is always right and he doesn't want to hurt or screw up the baby. So if that's what's I the know. best thing to do, that it was, was like so sad. the opposite of bad man. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, he just like took it at face value that he was going to like mess up this kid. Yeah. It's so sad. Luke sits TJ down and explains not women, but people to TJ. I'm going to explain. This scene is so interesting. It's so interesting for so many reasons. Okay, so for one, Luke starts explaining the intricacies of communication and relationship using super inclusive language, non-sexist language. He talks about how people, not women, are complicated and don't always say what they mean. And being in a relationship means tuning into what your partner is really feeling. This wouldn't be like a crazy big ideal, except that Luke has like notoriously been insecure about his own masculinity and like regularly makes comments about how something's not manly enough or how something's not weird, even though it's a little feminine for a man to do. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So it's like funny that he's talking about people being complicated and your partner as opposed to just what an easy thing to do is like, oh, women are crazy. You got to listen, you know. He also, however, is missing the fact that he needs to take his own advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's so that's the second part. Is the show telling us that like Luke is blind in this area? Because to me, this scene seems like Luke is maybe just now coming to the realization that this is what relationships are like and he's going to apply it to his own. But the episode does not do that. It's almost like the show is saying like Luke thinks he knows what he's talking about, but he's a hypocrite. He has no idea what Lorelai's actually feeling, which is insane because Lorelai wears her feelings directly on her face in every scene she's in. Yeah, I, I'm guessing this is just to, like, reinforce that Luke is not good at picking up on emotions or something. Even though he knows he's supposed to. It's so yeah. weird. If it's not intentional, they really missed this, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it seems like he's, there's no way he's not talking about himself, from my perspective. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. I expected him to call Lorelai and then be like, hey, I think something's wrong. What's up? Yeah, the scene could have ended easily with him being like, oh my God, I just realized I've been misreading Lorelai's emotions all along. You know, but it doesn't end that way. Pipe smoke, pipe smoke, pipe smoke. What? <laughs> I imagine him like Sherlock Holmes, the way you just, it's not Luke's voice that you, was that Luke's impression? No, but well, it doesn't. Well, well, well. <laughs> but it doesn't end that way. It ends with him like smugly being proud of his life advice. He thinks he's the only person in the world to have thought of. Yeah, it's so weird. So Luke's like, don't worry, TJ, I'm going to take care of this. He goes back to the diner where he finds Liz. She's just, like struggling to relate and be part of the single mothers group. That was really funny. Yeah, this woman's upset that her husband or baby daddy, it's not clear what the relationship is, that he didn't get, he didn't test better when he was in school and didn't get a higher paying job and isn't taking her to Dollywood. <laughs> Liz is all like, yeah, that's just wrong. Not not going to Dollywood. That's That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> Just clearly like, I don't really get your point, but okay. She hates these women. So she's very happy when Luke takes her aside. And he tells her what's up and that like, hey, you know what? You're going to be a good mom. You did great with Jess. And she points out like, hey, you know, yeah, maybe things were rough with Jess, but he's good now. Like Jess turned out all right. He's got his life together. You raised a good kid. I have every confidence that you're going to raise another good kid. And you have a man who's going to stick there with you. And she's like, if he forgives me, Luke points outside. There is dumb old TJ standing outside with no coat on, being in the cold. <laughs> and then she runs out there, they kiss, and they're, they're happy. And then Luke goes over to that table of women. And there's specifically one woman who's just, like, nasty and clearly supposed to be not be a great person. Yeah, she says about TJ. Yeah, he looks like a real winner. <laughs> <laughs> and then Luke's all like, can I get you ladies anything? Um, compassion, perspective. 
It's funny. And then he smiles outside like, job well done, Luke. You fixed it. Now I'm just going to turn back to my own life, which I'm sure is going great. Couple things. Him telling Liz she was going to be a great mom was really sweet. Yes. I thought like she played that really well, just like being sort of taken aback by how sweet he was being. Yeah. But the other thing is TJ should not forgive her. That's awful. I'm not saying never, but like her like putting that on him is a lot. Absolutely. That's really hurtful. Not to mention just like mean. It's just oh, it's so hurtful. And they like she needs to be apologetic. I mean, Luke's saying she didn't mean it, but I don't know. That's like really, really mean. That's like an angel when Gunn starts saying mean stuff to Fred because he's trying to like break up with her for demon related reasons. But it's like you're being really mean, though. This is like a ruse. You're doing this for like a different reason. But like, I don't know, you're like hurting this person. Yeah. I mean, TJ is a dumb idiot who probably has the memory of a goldfish and might not remember this even happened in a week. But still. But it's like, did she kind of mean it? Like she wasn't admitting to herself that she was going to fuck this up. So she must have, like, convinced herself that TJ would fuck it up. Yeah, I mean, she may have even realized what happened at some point, but, like, couldn't forgive herself for doing that to him. I also wondered how she knew that Luke knew before TJ was out there. She, like, had no reason to put that together. What, that she... Luke knew what actually happened. Yeah, I don't know. She's intuitive. Because he wasn't like, I know that you kicked TJ out. Right. And that you're worried about it. Well, yeah, I I guess I don't know. I'm I'm glad they're happy. I didn't want them to be broken up. Yeah. I'm just like, TJ, you got to maybe stand up for yourself a little here. That wasn't very nice. Well, we know that Luke is a man with a romantically intuitive mind who I have no doubt will navigate the waters of his own relationship perfectly from now on. Right. Meanwhile, Logan wakes up to Paris listing penis parts as she bones (laughs) up her words for an exam. That was so funny. I love the scene so much. Yeah. Rory has enlisted Paris with a tag-along Doyle to watch over Logan to make sure he doesn't hurt himself or spontaneously combust, I guess, while he gets better. The reveal of Doyle was so funny. He just, like, <laughs> just got done processing that Paris was there, and he like looks over and Doyle's on the couch. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Because it was revealed to us, too. Yes. We didn't know Doyle was there until he spoke up. Paris is, of course, taking this uh, duty very, very crazy seriously. And, like, tells Logan he can't even get up to go pee. She says, well, I'll get your bedpan. Where's your bedpan? I don't have a bedpan. Yeah. He's rich, so, of course, he's got to have a fancy bedpan, right? (laughs) He calls Rory, and Rory reluctantly lets Logan pee in his own bathroom, but only if Doyle helps him limp to the bathroom. This scene has, like, so much happening so quickly that, like, every other line is funny. It's hard to talk about because I have to, like, break down everything to talk about all the funny jokes. Yeah, because there's two things happening on Rory's end. Yeah. The R- Logan conversation and Bill, which you'll get to. And yeah, a ton happening at Logan's place. Yeah, Doyle is obsessed and watching the The Penguin movie, which I'm assuming is March of the Penguins. They just didn't call it that. Yeah, I looked it up. It came out in 2005. So that was like a year before this. I'm sure it's that. They just couldn't say it, I guess, for some reason. Yeah, it's maybe like the actress thing at the beginning where they don't want to say it, but like you can figure it out. They say other movies all the time. Maybe they it's like do. Warner Brothers movies that they say. Yeah, I don't know. Doyle's obsessed with this Penguin movie. He like wants to listen to it with the sound when it gets to the nice like familial parts in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think Doyle was watching it with headphones because Logan was sleeping. But Paris is also delighted by this movie. And it's really fun to watch her respond so positively to something. Because normally she's just mean and acerbic all the time. And she's got something condescending to say about anything. But she's just super into this movie. Uh, At some point, she, like, excitedly jogs over to the couch to watch. (laughs) 
Doyle helps him to the bathroom, and he's excited that they're like waddling, limping to the bathroom. It's just like the Penguin movie, especially as the Penguin movie music like swells for them. I'm glad Doyle's happy. You know, that's all that matters to me. Logan calls Rory to like get her to get Paris to stand down in general. He like it's kind of an example of Logan sort of being manipulative. One could make the argument. But I mean, everything he says makes sense. He's like, the doctor said this and this and this. You don't need to be protecting me this much. So no, this is right. not This is not manipulation. I mean, sh- I could see someone arguing that. I'm not trying to say that. I, if you're arguing, you can, there, I am with you about other things Logan has done. Not you, but whoever might argue this. But I mean, Rory's being like cartoonishly overprotective right now. That he has yeah. to pee in a bedpan when the doctor told him he should walk if he feels he can. I love when he's on the phone with her and he's like, here come the penguins. <laughs> And Paris, like, can't look at the scary part with, like, the dead penguin baby. Yeah, she's like, dead humans? Fine. Dead penguins? Can't do it. Meanwhile, while Rory's on the phone, Bill is, like, pestering her. He wants to show her a copy of the Wall Street Journal for some reason to see her reaction. When she's off the phone, she takes a look, and we find out there's an article interviewing Mitchum Huntsberger. And in this interview, he talks about how he always is on the lookout for the best and the brightest to work for him. And he credits Rory's current success at the Dale Yaley News. You said Dale Yaley News. Dale Yaley News. <laughs> you guys don't know this, but Rory actually goes to an off-brand school. <laughs> just called Dale. Saves a ton of money. Chris is paying almost nothing in tuition. <laughs> just look at Rory Gilmore. He gave her an internship. And now she's the head of the Yale Daily News. The insinuation being that that had something to do with it. Or that he spotted her brilliance early. I love that Bill's disappointed that her reaction is quiet. (laughs) Yeah, he was hoping she would explode. Well, she isn't happy, though. She takes a minute to just simmer on it. But then she's pissed. She's complaining to Logan, venting about all this later. And I get it. Like, for one, he did not give her that internship based on any kind of merit or insight into what kind of a worker she would be. He gave her that as an offering or a bribe to forget about how rude and awful his family was to her. Right. He was essentially like, I feel guilty. Here's an internship. You're fine. Whatever. Shut up. That's essentially what that was. And not only that, but when he was there, it wasn't like he recognized her work. He straight up told her like, yeah, you're not good enough for this job. You don't have the skills. You don't have what it takes. So he never at any point thought she was the brightest and like saw that in her and like gave her a path of success from that. He threw this at her because he's rich and powerful And then tried to take it away from her because he wasn't paying attention to how good she actually was. Now, I will take a step back and I'll say that internship probably did help Rory really hone her like journalistic instincts or at least working in a paper. Yeah. I will not pretend that it didn't help her in some way. It definitely led to her getting a job there when she later came back and like really pestered the guy to give her a job, which I'm sure helped her. Never once worked. Not even one time. The show could have even had one line about how she had to quit because she's working at the Daily News now. I'm sure that's what we're supposed to believe. I know, but they just never talk about this job she got, which was a huge big deal. A whole episode yeah. based on her trying to get it. Like, she wouldn't be able to do both. So it's not, like, crazy to think that she wouldn't work there. But, man, what a dick move to, like, beg that guy for a job and then not take it. <laughs> well, yeah. So, like, I totally get her point of view. Mitchum's a piece of shit. Just taking credit anywhere he can, just like Logan says. Rory calls the Wall Street Journal and speaks to the reporter who wrote the article, and she wants a retraction, but the reporter's like, well, technically everything he said is true. You are the editor here, and you did get an internship from him, so there's nothing to retract. And she's like, what about the implication or the impression? And the lady's like, we don't retract impressions. That would be chaos. That was funny. Yeah, it's funny because the article is like 100% true the way it's worded. There's like really nothing wrong about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't retract that he said, 
I look for the best and the brightest. You can't be like, well, that's a lie. I know he doesn't. Like, Because it was also a blanket statement about the other people mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I was like, Rory, did you really think this was going to work? There's a lot of this scene that's interesting. Bill, like, is, keeps whispering, like, just see if they'll do a clarification. And she's like, no, that's dumb. And then she's like, how about a clarification? <laughs> but then Bill says, like, good girl to her, which is like a throwaway funny thing. But, like, Amy already set up that she doesn't like it when men say good girl. That's true. <laughs> Taylor said it to Lorelai one time. Yeah, which is different. And this seemed more playful, but whatever. Also, Logan had sort of mentioned, like, people are going to forget about it. Don't worry about it. So that was in Rory's head. So she says that to, like, the woman yeah. who wrote the article, which I feel like is kind of a big mistake for Rory to, like, insult this woman at a big paper. Yeah. And then the woman's like, well, you know, I'm not uh, thrilled about the idea that people forget about what I just wrote and spent all that time on. Rory's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you for your time. I feel like they got along enough. I feel like the woman didn't take it too painfully, but it was a funny, funny line. I liked the scene where Logan was like trying to talk Rory out of being mad about this. Yeah. She's like listing different ways she wants to torture Mitchum. There were some fun jokes about that. Like she knows a lot of specific stuff about torture. Yeah. And Logan's like, what do you, how do you know all these? She also says she remembers like everything she reads. Yeah. She's had a ton of dialogue in this scene. But like while she's ranting, Logan like gets up on his own. <laughs> He's like, are you proud of your boy? <laughs> And he also just tells her to let it go, but she's like, never, which is maybe another example of him being like trying to tell her what to do, but she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think her anger is like justified, but like at the same time, he's right. Like it doesn't do you any favors to hold on to this anger because there's nothing you can do about it. And he's trying to convince her that ultimately it's a good thing. Yeah. I don't blame her. If there's anyone that holds grudges, it's me. And uh, I get it. He still hasn't forgiven me for the time I wrote a blurb about him in a paper. And I never will. You should never have said those things. And you'll pay one day. We'll talk about Emily. (laughs) We also have some Emily drama. That uh, LASIK eye surgery did not go well. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Did not go well. Drama is the correct word. Emily calls Lorelai in a complete tizzy. She is just like walking or kind of stumbling through her house. Just like shielding her eyes from all of the windows. Just like panicking, calling Lorelai like she needs help. She had that LASIK surgery, and apparently it did not go super well. There were some complications, and she's going to be temporarily blind or at least, like, legally blind. Yeah, I feel like she can see. Yes. I think she's just temporarily blindish for a couple of days. And she's confused why Lorelai doesn't know all about this. Meanwhile, Richard calls Lorelai on the other line, and he's like, I'm unconscionably late with this phone call. I'm sorry. Your mother had the surgery. It didn't go great. I'm traveling right now. I'm in North Dakota, and it sucks here. South Dakota. North Dakota is not cool. I'm in a really cheap motel. And it was, it was like the cheapest motel I've ever seen. <laughs> not cheapest I've ever seen. I worked in comedy. Uh, it was just a, a cheap motel for Richard. Uh, so just it was South Dakota for all you people from North Dakota that Brian just insulted. Uh, there's different ones. I thought we just had a uh, North and that's, we just stopped. Oh, there. shit. Now he insulted all of Dakota. <laughs> Kidding. I've been to North Dakota, I think. I don't think I've been to South. Yeah, we both went. Yeah. I've been to both. I don't know if you've been to both. I don't remember. People don't really live in either place. <laughs> Not that many people live in either. I'm going to get so many phone calls acting for clarifications and retractions. <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'd pick South, if I'm being honest. there's <sighs> They got the, the Mount Rushmore, mm. the Badlands. Oh, yeah. I don't know what's in North Dakota. I don't know what's in the Badlands. Just it, It's just really bad. pretty. It's like rock formations and stuff, but then it's just like hundreds of miles of it, and it gets very boring. mm also, Waldrug. What? It's like a cowboy town. I don't know. There's a cowboy town. There's a cowboy town. Cowboy town. town. <laughs> There's a cowboy town. There's a cowboy town named Waldrug. I don't know what it is. It, you go there and there's like shops and stuff. I went there on a band trip in high school and we ate 
food and there were like shops where you, everybody bought cowboy hats. There's like signs for it for miles and miles leading up to it. That was like part of it. That's all I remember. It sounds like you had like a desert hallucination and found like a fake oasis. Maybe, but then I had it with like 200 other people. It was hot there. So anyway, he asked Lorelai to cover for him. He feels bad about it. He also says he left a battery of people with Emily, so she should be fine. Lorelai switches back to her mother, covers for her father, and Emily's like, I need you to come right now. Like, it's an emergency. You got to come. So Lorelai's like, all right, all right, fine, I'll come. She's like, I'll be waiting, blind and waiting. (laughs) Emily is so much in this episode. It was also sweet of Lorelai to cover for Richard. It was, because he seemed genuinely like, I feel bad. I wasn't trying to be a bad husband. And he covered for her that one time. She snuck out the windy. That's true. I forgot about that. Also, I just, I feel like Richard is very uh, duty focused. And I feel like he, this is not something that he would just let go. You know what I mean? He was like, it's my duty to tell Lorelai. Yeah. I was worried he was cheating. Now that he's got that swoopy bangs, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And he's in a hotel. Who knows what's going on? When Lorelai gets to Emily's house, she is laid out on this couch in the darkness in full depression, fainting lady mode. So fucking dramatic. She says, the doctor has blinded me for life. <laughs> Lorelai's like, isn't it just a couple of days? She's like, yes, she's blinding me for at least the next two days. And he wasn't hot. <laughs> and he wasn't attractive. He didn't look like this person I told you, I was told he would look like. I don't know exactly what happened when they did the eye surgery. She's going to be fine. They had to revert to like a different old type of eye surgery. I don't, I don't really know. But anyway. That was funny though. Like the one eye surgery wouldn't work for her eye shape. So they did the old procedure. She's like, which I absolutely did not want. And Lorelai's like, yeah, because that's so last year. <laughs> Lorelai keeps pointing out that the doctor seemed incredibly reasonable. But Emily's like, I'm suing him into oblivion. Also, she fired every single person for, like, various reasons. Lorelai's like, where's all these people that dad hired? And she's like, gone. Gone to hell, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, man. She just talks about how much she hates all of them. Of course, I'm sure they were all bad, and it's not, you know, Emily. But she she's stuck now. She needs to run some errands that she personally has to go on herself, so she needs Lorelai to drive her. So Lorelai's like, okay. Now, I think that Emily is the type of person who just fires people. And I could see Emily being so distraught and upset that she fired all these people. But I personally think she fired all these people to get Lorelai forced into spending time with her. Well, she even had a specific agenda for Lorelai on this day. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think all of this was, I don't think her being injured was intentional. But I think tricking Lorelai into doing all this was part of her goal the whole time. Yeah, hard to say if she like amended the plan to end up where they did. Once Lorelai agreed to come. Yeah, it's unclear. Emily is just so pathetically helpless in this scene. It's so funny. (laughs) At some point, she just raises her arm and says, Lorelai, up. (laughs) (laughs) To help her get her to pull her up off the couch. Up. Lorelai, up. Like a little baby, up. (laughs) She then insists Lorelai drive her in this, like, Fancy SUV she ordered specifically because it has like super dark tinted windows. She was like, they say it was one Jay-Z uses. Whoever Jay-Z is, some artist I suspect. Oh, weird. They referenced Jay-Z and Beyonce in this episode. Yeah. But I'm like, does Jay-Z like come near Stars Hollow very often? I guess he could. I I don't know. Uh, It's not far from New York. I guess they're not in Stars Hollow either. No, it's Hartford. Lorelai reluctantly drives her mom around in this giant SUV, constantly like almost hitting somebody or like getting cut off or running into someone. Emily's yelling at her about it. And she's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm not used to driving a miso silo down the street. And then Emily, and this has to be the best line in the episode, probably the best line of the whole season. Emily says. The whole season? Yeah. She, 
it's so funny. Emily in the back of the car when Lorelai's complaining flips her hair back and says, Oh, Lorelai, stop being so dramatic. <laughs> stop being so dramatic. So funny. Oh my God, it was so funny. Then Emily randomly brings up Christopher for no reason. She starts talking about their lunch and how handsome he is. She forgot how handsome he is and he seems lonely to her. And then Who's Laurel- Gigi? Yeah, Lorelai's like, well, he's got Gigi. <laughs> and this is going to be the second best line of this episode. And then Emily says, who's that? <laughs> who's Gigi? And Lorelai's like, his daughter? And then Emily's like, yeah, we didn't talk about that. That being the child. She's met Gigi. Yeah, and, we, and she called it an it then. <laughs> I'm sure Emily was a great mom. Emily starts wondering out loud who she should set Christopher up with. Maybe this really pretty girl who Lorelai thinks is an idiot. She says someone would go perfectly with his hair and his tie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Lorelai doesn't like this. She's like, she doesn't need that woman. He doesn't need some dumb idiot bimbo woman. Like, he's smart. He's attractive. He'll be able to find his own person once Gigi's old enough and he feels comfortable and it's the right time. And then Emily suggests that she might set him up with this really funny woman. And then Lorelai seems to get annoyed or almost like personally offended and starts demanding Emily tell her one of the funny jokes this woman said. She keeps insisting it. And Emily's like, well, she's got a good laugh. And then Lorelai's like, oh, so she's got an ability to appreciate humor. She doesn't have a good sense of humor. And I think, okay, there's a lot to break down here, but I think that uh, Lorelai for the rest of time wants to be the funniest woman in Christopher's life. I think that's like her thing, her special connection to Christopher is that she's the funniest one in his life, okay? Like being the funny one or the funniest one in a group is a real source of personal identity and pride for um, some people. (laughs) (laughs) A certain type of person that I can um, understand or relate with. Yeah, I'd much rather you date someone that's hotter than me than funnier than me. Absolutely. Like, I was just thinking that, like, if my ex was like, yeah, I'm dating this guy and he's way hotter than you, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. She's like, he's got a way bigger penis than you. That's fine. Like, this guy's funnier than you. And it's like, fuck that guy, all right? He's, he, I hope he dies. Yeah. Funnier than me? No, not cool. I'm aware people are hotter than me. I don't know that I've met anyone funnier than me. <laughs> Okay, but like, so Lorelai gets offended, and I think it's for that reason, but the scene is so weird. Is Emily trying to get Lorelai thinking about Christopher in romantic sense? Is she trying to make Lorelai jealous? It seems that way, but then once you know how the episode ends, this changes. Yeah, but like, she knows that Lorelai's going to marry Luke, and she says something, we're going to, and it seems like she's supporting Luke and her relationship. So it would be weird for her to then be like, well, what about Christopher? But also Emily's like conniving and manipulative enough to maybe see that there's like, unlike Luke, she can read into Lorelai, like beyond what she's saying and expressing to see what's really happening. And maybe she feels there is a weakness here. There is an opportunity for her to get in there and put a wedge between her and Luke and finally get Lorelai with Christopher, which has been her end goal forever. She's been shipping her and Christopher since they were 16. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but I think just based on this episode alone, she seems to have accepted that Lorelai is going to be with Luke. And I think she just cares about Christopher being happy, too. Okay. But I don't know that you're not right. Well, I mean, I feel like if it were wrong, if I were right, it would come up. So I'm probably not right in that regard. But it, it just feels weird that she's really talking about Christopher dating. And it also is interesting that Lorelai seems so, like, defensive or, like, offended that there's these other women in his life and he doesn't need to be dating them right now. 
She drives Emily around all day, and finally it's night. It's It's been an all-day thing. They've gone all kinds of places. But Emily takes her to a real estate office as their last stop, and she insists that Lorelai go in with her. There's a funny line. As they're getting out, Emily's like, remember to lock the doors. I'm leaving my bananas in here. <laughs> like, someone's <laughs> going to steal those bananas. I wouldn't be surprised if this car didn't have, like, a panic room in the back just for Emily. Like, she can't afford more bananas. <laughs> yeah. No. So funny. Can you imagine breaking into a car? Like, uh, breaking into a car. Oh, bananas. That's why I'm here. Yeah. They go inside, and uh, they all know Emily by name. She's, like, talking to this woman. They're having a good time catching up. Laura, like, keeps being like, why are we here? What is this all about? What's happening? Emily's just ignoring everything. She tells them to ignore Lorelai. She's yeah. like, don't worry. She's got headaches and make her babble. And when they offer her aspirin, she's like, it's okay. I've had the headache for 38 years. Yeah. They sit down for this presentation, this really nice house that's got like stables for horses and stuff. And Emily asks Lorelai what she thinks of the house. And Lorelai's like, I don't know, whatever. Who cares? And then Emily's like, no, tell me what you think about the house. And Lorelai's like, well, it's beautiful. And Emily's like, yeah, I hope so. I just want you to know that Richard and I are going to buy this house for you and Luke. And Emily is pretty nice here where she's like, I'm not shitting on your house. Your house is great. I love it. I know you put a lot of work into it, but like you guys need a bigger house. A man needs his own space. And this will be a place for Luke to have some of his own space. I know you love horses. So we made sure that there's a place for horses. She like clearly did a research and she's like, I know this is like slightly out of Stars Hollow, but I've heard that if you grease the palms of one Taylor Dozy, you can get a Stars Hollow address at this place. Lorelai's moved by this. This is so beautiful. It's like Emily also can't really see Lorelai, perhaps. Yeah. I think she can see a little, but I don't know how she can see that she's like getting emotional. Yeah. And we find out this is what Emily and Richard have been doing. All these like viewings have been looking for a house for Lorelai and Luke, not to move to Stars Hollow as she had feared. And she's saying that she's accepted that they're going to get married. Yeah. In not so many words, but that's what that's saying. Right. Well, she's accepted that before, I think. Yeah, maybe that, like, financial conversation they had with Luke, but... But this is, like, clearly, like, you're marrying him, and that's what's going to happen, and uh, we are trying to support that in any way we can. Yeah. We're not a family that ever says kind things, but we will show with money that we care about each other. But Lorelai's getting emotional, and it's not because this is such a grand gesture. Maybe it is a little bit, but then she just says to her mother that it's not going to happen. And she specifically says, like, her, Luke, the wedding, it isn't going to happen. She starts crying, and Emily comes over to her, like, a little unsteady, and just, like, kind of puts her hand, finds Lorelai's shoulder and puts her hand on there to comfort her. Then the episode ends with a dejected Lorelai arriving at Suki and Jackson's house, and she's like, hey, I just need to, like, relax here for a little bit, if that's okay. Like, I just need some time. And they all sit on the couch, and they all sit there silently for a while. It's, like, serious, because Lorelai's obviously, like, emotionally troubled. And then she just asks what that smell is, and then Suki just says, 68 pounds of marijuana. (laughs) And then Lorelai just sort of nods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. A lot going on. A lot going on. Was it a good one? It was. Yeah, yeah, it was. All the Emily stuff is so funny. It really is. Paris and Doyle were so funny. Mm-hmm. All the Rory and Logan stuff was really sweet. And that last scene with Emily, it's so vague what Lorelai's thinking. It's unclear if she's like, I'm going to end it with Luke because I'm sick of waiting around. Because in the beginning of the episode, she's like dodging him. Right. So it kind of seems like she's going to end it with Luke. But it also could be interpreted that she's just assuming it's never going to happen and she's sad about it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of know, but I don't know. I feel like we had a huge leap between the last episode and this one. Yeah. I I will say her trying to avoid Luke seems weird. Like, what's what's causing that? We don't ever get an explanation for that in this episode. Yeah, and you'd think if they had had like a... Okay, so she went and talked to Anna... And, like, was that the moment where she decided things aren't going to happen between her and Luke? 
Yeah, I don't know. It's weird we don't get her thoughts. But also, like, okay, there's so much you could say, like, Luke, how are you not picking up on how she feels? It's so obvious. But in the same token, Lorelai, like, tell Luke. Say, like, hey, I want to get married. It's important to me. Can we set a date? Like, I, I know that you got to get this up with April, but, like, it would make me happy if we set a date and stuck to it. Yeah, it, it's, like, wild that they're not communicating about it. Yeah, it's, it's almost just, like, I just don't understand. And Lorelai is a, quote, unquote, silent sufferer, but she's facially not silent when she's upset about stuff. But, like, she's emotionally very intuitive. I don't know how she wouldn't think that she needs to say some of this to Luke. Yeah. Maybe it's just, like, because her parents don't communicate their emotions very well. It's so bizarre. The Suki and Jackson marijuana thing, I remember thinking that was very funny, and now it just almost feels a little silly. Mm-hmm. But it, regardless of what it was, it was kind of just fun to see them be sort of, like, peas in a pod. Yeah. Goofy together, doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, they were very much, like... We're the same character in this episode. You know, like they're just like doing the exact same thing as each other on the same page. Yeah. It's like a fun little duo. Yeah. I also like them like functioning happily together. Like every show is going to have episodes where the couples fight. You have to have that. And you can get humor from that in addition to emotion. But it's nice to just see a couple like, oh, yeah, there's a reason they're together. They're happy together. They work well together. We don't get a lot of just them. Yeah. For storylines that just relate to them. Yeah. And if we do, it's like negative or it involves the others somehow. So that was nice. Maybe there's better episodes of Gilmore Girls, but I thought it was a really funny episode. All the stuff with Emily was just like laugh out loud funny. Don't be so dramatic. <laughs> I thought that last scene was so good with them at the real estate place. Yeah. Just like her showing how much she actually does care about Lorelai, even though she's like incapable of showing it most times. Like she put a lot of thought into the house that she was getting for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing with Emily, right? I feel like she's not really someone who says stuff like I love you. I value you. She's more like ready to tell you what she wants you to fix. But this is a great way of her showing, like you said, like in the way that she can show. Like I would not have done all this research if obviously if I didn't love you. In a way, it's still her being like, here's some things you need to fix in your life. You've got a house that's not going to fill your needs. You need to fix that. But obviously she's doing it in a way that's like, and I want to fix it for you because I love you. The only thing is the reason they didn't move out of that house is because Lorelai didn't want to move out of that house. But yeah. They could keep that one still if Emily's paying for this one. For sure. I could rent it out. Although, I mean, that, that's what Luke suggested that they do. Yeah, they were going to live at the Twickham house. But yeah, she's, I mean, you always say she's such a villain. But then every once in a while, they'll throw in a scene like this. where It's like, God damn it. I love Emily. Except the whole episode, she's been a monster. <laughs> she's been so annoying. In such a fake way. Yeah. And Michelle was so funny. Mm-hmm. It was a good episode. It was. It was funny. It didn't tug at my heartstrings as much as other Gilmore ones have. I know that moment was good with Emily, but the rest that of That scene really got me. I don't know why. Yeah? Interesting. I knew that she was trying to buy them a house, and that's what they've been doing all along. I remembered that. But I didn't really remember that scene at all, so it felt new to me. Should we move on? Let's do it. And now, for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharged. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 6, Episode 21, Witch Wars, the sisters and Chris unknowingly take part in a demonic reality TV show entitled Witch Wars, where they are targets and their powers are the prize. So this is like Running Man, I'm guessing, the movie. I haven't seen that. Is that about a reality show? Yeah. 
I'm guessing that they are like hunted down by like uh, bounty hunter type demons that the crowd cheers on for. They're going to try to kill the witches. And like there's just like a big crowd of demons that they keep cutting to that are like, yeah, let's get her, get her. And every time a demon dies, the crowd's like, whoa, that's not what usually happens on witch wars. How are the demons dying? Spells. Sometimes they fall on their own weapons through ineptitude. The way it works is that these bounty hunter dudes go, they're like gladiators that are like, you know, they interview them like, I'm going to go find Paige and I'm going to rip her Paige face off. I'm going to steal all her spells. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they bet money on him. They're like, oh, he's the one that's going to do it. And there'll be another gladiator demon that's all like, oh, I'm going to be the one to kill Paige and I'm going to take her spells. It's going to be me and I'm going to do it with my tail. And some people bet on him. And then that's how the show works is that they bet on all these people that go to try to kill. And then whoever does kill the witch, the people who bet on them make money. And the one that kills the witch gets their powers. But in this case, the gladiators just can't get it done because the witches are clever. But also their house is full of so many fun little things that keep them alive. Yes. Also, Leo happens to be watching TV that day. Yeah. And he's like, oh, shit, that's my house. Yeah, yeah. He was like up in the attic. He he didn't hear all this going on downstairs because the witches don't realize they're part of a TV show. They're no. just like, why are these demons hunting us? All the betting is like an in-studio situation. Yeah. So Leo comes down and just starts barking because he can't even find the words to describe what this is. And they're like, what's up, boy? He shows them the cameras. They're like, oh, okay. But the cameras themselves say witch wars and have the address to the studio on them. So they all just go down there. Pat Sajak's there. He's running it. Mm-hmm. Pat Sajak's all like, oh, look who's here for Witch Wars. And they're out of gladiators at this point. They've sent all the gladiators. There's no one left. And then the witches at some point are like, hey, don't you owe us some powers for killing these demons? And the demons check the rule books. Apparently that is true. And that what they do is they're like, all right, well, since we made it all the, to the end, we're trading in all the powers we, we won, and we get to pick the next contestant, which is going to be Pat Sajak, so that... The next round of gladiators are after Pat Sajak. And so then they just tune in to watch an episode of Witch Wars where they're watching Pat Sajak getting hunted down by all these demons. Leo loves it. Yeah, and uh, Pat Sajak on Wheel of Fortune has been a, a Pat Sajak bot ever since. Yeah. Did you not know that? It's true. This has been Meanwhile on Charmed. So then we watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, my God. Just two episodes ago. And the name of this episode is Two to Go. Stacy, can you tell us all about Two to Go? Yeah, so this episode is about Willow trying to kill Jonathan and Andrew. Pretty much exclusively, yes. That's what this is about. <laughs> and her friends trying to stop her. So you said these episodes aired the same night. This they did. The finale. They did. And I, I think they do actually work best when viewed together, which sucks that we had to cut it halfway through, but we did. Because it opens with a recap of what happened the entire season. Yeah, Xander, for some reason, is the one that's doing it. He's like, yes. this season on Buffy, this is what I do now. Yeah, and it wasn't even like previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was, this is what happened this year. Just like yearbook recap. <laughs> but yeah, it just like recaps the whole season. It's interesting that it wasn't Giles. Yeah, I wonder if like, that is weird. Why would it? Because it's always been Giles, like all season. Maybe they wanted to be. This is what happened this year, and they didn't have him to re-record it. Yeah, I have some other theories too, but that's what I think. Also, in the captions, instead of Xander, it says "man." <laughs> <laughs> Reading. However, Giles is in the recap. That's important. It's just him saying he's leaving. Put a pin in that. So we again pick up right where the last episode left off. Buffy, Xander, and Anya are running out of the woods after seeing Willow skin and burn Warren. Xander's understandably pretty disturbed by watching his friend do this, but Buffy's like, we gotta keep moving though. She said, one down, that means two to go, 
She's probably going to go to the jail to get Andrew and Jonathan next. And we got to stop her from killing even more people. Because as Buffy says, killing people changes you. And they're not even positive that this is the Willow they knew anymore. Buffy hasn't killed any people, right? She thought she killed Katrina. But this is something this show has kind of shown, like through Faith. When Faith killed a dude, she like went down a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. I don't think Buffy has killed any humans. Because she says that. And she's like, killing people changes you. Trust me, I would know. I was like, I don't think you've killed anyone. And I mean, she's been faced with that a lot. She like didn't not kill Faith. Yeah. Like she intended to, probably. To be fair, it wasn't for revenge. It was like for a reason. Like yeah. she needed her blood. Right. Like I think she had resigned to killing Faith. And as Xander points out, Warren had it coming, but that doesn't mean that Andrew and Jonathan deserve to die. They're worried Willow might already be at the jail trying to kill them, but Annie's like, no, witches at her level can go airborne, but it's not as fast as teleporting, which Anya immediately does. So I guess what Willow's doing is more like flying? I guess, like on the wind or something. I don't know what that means, but... She kind of like turns into a thunderstorm. Like she does seem to sort of like disappear. So maybe she like takes a different form, but like her particles still have to move through the air normally. It's not just like an instant right. pop to somewhere else, folding space time. You can say instant transmission. What is instant transmission? It's a teleportation trick from Dragon Ball Z. Why would I say that? I don't know, because I want you to say it. Instant transmission. <laughs> is that how they say it? Yeah, no, but thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Also, Anya says that a witch at her level can only go airborne. Isn't she like a pretty high level? Yeah, and we've seen her do a teleportation spell to glory before, and I imagine she's only much better now. She does say that it's, like, more flashy. So maybe she means, like, because she's a higher level, she does this, like, kind of more spectacle of a thing. But if she's trying to get there fast, it seems like she just would teleport. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know. Because later in the episode, she 100% does teleport. And later, Anya says she's the most powerful witch in the Western Hemisphere. She does get an upgrade halfway through the episode. That's true. But... It seems like, what an upgrade that she's able to teleport now. I suspect that it had something to do with how much energy she had left and her level of being a witch. Like, maybe a witch at her level with more energy left could have done it, or a witch at a higher level with her same lower amount of energy could, like, use it better and teleport. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's a difference between level and, like, power. Like, maybe someone that's been doing it for years can teleport, regardless of how powerful you are. Yeah, it's tough to say. I don't, I don't know what that means. Buffy and Xander are going to try to take Xander's car to the jail, but they see that Willow's destroyed it, the car. So Buffy just sprints to the jail, leaving Xander to, I don't know, take a bus, I guess. (laughs) You were like, she's just leaving Xander? It makes sense, though. It's like, she might as well get there as soon as she can. They got to get there fast. And at this point, they're assuming Willow won't kill them. So there's no... No, I mean, if she she stopped to ruin the car, she could have just killed them. Yeah. At the jail, Andrew is still convinced that Warren's going to come save them. He's trying to pick up signals through implants he believes that Warren may have unknowingly implanted into his body. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to give himself like a cavity surge here in a minute, looking for like a (laughs) microphone. Jonathan's like, shut up, you're crazy. He doesn't give a shit about either of us. But Andrew's still defending Warren. He's like, this is why we get jetpacks and all you get is left behind. (laughs) (laughs) He finally admits that they were going to betray them. Yes. They end up getting into a physical fight when Anya teleports into their cell. Andrew's like... You do that? (laughs) She explains everything to them. Andrew's a little sad about Warren, but they both agree that they don't deserve to die the way that Warren did from Willow. Anya's plan is to convince the guard to let them out, I guess, by vaguely explaining to him that something bad is coming. And it is. Willow appears outside of the police station in her little thundercloud. 
A cop tries to stop her, so she tells him to take a nap, and he he does. He's tired. Yeah, she's like, take a nap, and he just he just does. He just falls asleep. The guard doesn't let them out of their cell, and brick by brick, Willow starts tearing down the exterior wall of their holding cell. It's up on the second floor. She's on the ground. All the cops come out. She tosses a couple of them around, so they don't really mess with her. Andrew's freaking out. Anya says she can't teleport them out. That's not how her power works. And Andrew's just like, why is she doing this? We didn't do anything. And Jonathan's like, yes, we did. We, like, teamed up to be supervillains, and it didn't work, and this is what we deserve. We're, like, we're bad. The cops are just all kind of pointing their guns at Willow, telling her to get down, but not really knowing what else to do. I was a little surprised they wouldn't try shooting her in the leg or something. I felt the same, but I thought about it, and I think it does make sense, because she's, what they're seeing is a girl just standing there, and you can sense that she is doing these things like tearing the stuff out with her mind or whatever, or like flipping the cop that came near her, even though she didn't touch him. But like, she hasn't done anything. You can't just shoot someone for standing there. And like, when you can write in your paper, she was flipping bricks with her mind, so we shot her. Like, the cops are probably like, what do we do? Maybe she'll just stop. Is she, we don't even know that she's doing this for sure. Yeah, and like we said, it's just unclear if the cops know that there's magic. They never really dive into that. You'd think they would know at this point. In which case they should try to shoot her because guns do hurt some demons. Because <laughs> she did like assault a couple police officers. But again, she didn't do it by touching them. So it's one of those things where the cops are like, okay, but that guy flipped over and it's weird and I feel like she did it. But like I didn't see her do it. I can't shoot her for standing there. Yeah. She also looks beautiful with this like hot goth outfit on. Sorry, that's just a personal thing. No, I didn't know you were into hot goths. I'm just into hot willow. I didn't know that. Now you do. You like this willow look. Oh, yeah, she's mean. I like it. You can't see the whites of her eyes. I hate whites of eyes. <laughs> That's why I found Emily so hot this last episode, man. Couldn't see her eyes at all. Yeah. Buffy's arrived. She assesses what Willow's up to, and she sneaks into the police station. When Willow's made a big enough hole in the wall, she levitates up to where their cell is, but they're not in there anymore, and the bars are all bent. She knows Buffy broke them out. Anya has stayed behind to try to talk some sense into Willow, but Willow's not in the mood. She throws Anya against the wall, and then she screams very dramatically for, like, a while, like, through the commercial break. Buffy's got the boys outside the police station. Xander pulls up with a stolen police car. They're pretty cool. There's this really weird moment where Buffy can't quite get in the car when Xander's driving away. I don't know why they did that. I think it's to make it seem more action-y and like more like she's a slayer so she could just run next to the car. But it comes across very like staged and stupid. Yeah, it was like Xander didn't know she wasn't in the car yet. Maybe they could have shot it differently. It just felt like a mistake. Almost. I think maybe it suggests Xander knows Buffy can get in. She'll be able to keep up for a second. And they just need to get out of there, I guess. I think that's the most charitable way to read what happened. We like watched a couple times. It seemed weird. They drive for a little bit. Jonathan can't believe that was Willow. You know, innocent high school Willow. They eventually start to wonder why Willow hasn't already caught up to them. They don't really know. But then she does. She's right behind them. She's using her power and her big black eyes to force someone to drive a huge vehicle just like Emily Gilmore. <laughs> we were watching this. We're like, wait, this is the same. Yeah. She's standing on the hood of a semi and we see the driver like, uh, I am not in control of this car right now. What's going on here? And she's just like making the semi ram into the police car that Xander's driving. Jonathan's like, it's fine. She knows you're in this car too and won't actually hurt us. Right? Right? I don't know, man. Doesn't seem that way. She's maybe not going to stop. But then they notice that Willow's getting a little sleepy. 
So we now learn that she can't maintain this level of power indefinitely. This is all very Terminator-esque. I feel like all of this like was like based on Terminator. Like her breaking into the police station and the police being helpless and then like driving a semi after that. It's very much like Terminator 1, Terminator 2. I've only seen those one time, but I think you're right. The cops being like, you're safe here. It's like, no, we are not, man. I'm surprised the cops don't go after the cop car. Unless they just assume it was a cop. I mean, they have other shit happening right now. <laughs> yeah. When Willow gets sleepy, the truck driver is able to regain control and the others are able to drive away. Man, that truck driver is probably traumatized for life. <laughs> like He's just like, they were right. They should never have driven through Sunnydale. They told me not to do it. I did it. <laughs> He's just like out of control and doesn't understand why. I don't even know if he knows Willow was up there. Maybe. I don't remember where she was positioned in relationship to his eyes. She's like, I can't not kill these people. What's happening? So they have Anya open up the magic shop because they figured the best way to fight Willow is with magic. Even Buffy says this is a terrible place to hide, knowing that this is one of the first places Willow will come looking. Yet they stay here the rest of the episode. (laughs) And spoilers, Willow does come looking. Anya can't feel Willow anymore, so whatever she's feeling now is beyond vengeance. And Willow's drained all the books, so they don't really know where to start with magic stuff, but Anya's got a little secret book of anti-magic protection spells locked away in a chest. That's convenient. Unfortunately, the text is in ancient Sumerian or something, so none of them can really read it. I'm like, Giles can read Sumerian? Text him a picture. You're good to go. (laughs) This episode would be solved with an iPhone. That was the original title. Solved with an iPhone? Mm Mm-hmm. Jonathan offers to help since he's dabbled in magics, but they're not really accepting help from Jonathan or Andrew at this time. (laughs) That's just a funny way to say that. (laughs) We're actually not accepting help from either of you at this time, Um, but please check in later. (laughs) Let you know if our terms have changed. Then they hang up. Mm -hmm. No, Buffy makes it very clear to Jonathan that they're only protecting them to keep Willow from crossing a line by killing them, not because she feels any kind of duty to protect them in particular. But Xander pulls Buffy aside, like, so what exactly is our plan? Say we can stop her from doing magic. You're just going to talk to her and tell her she's being kind of a lot? And she'll be like, <laughs> she'll be like yeah, I guess. You're right. Willow. We'll all go home and forget this happened? Willow, you're being kind of a lot right now. Oh, I am. All right. You're right. Buffy's like, I can't wear this hat anymore. She pulls off her hat, revealing her glorious hair. God, it's so nice. Yeah, her plan is to just, like, talk to Willow. And Xander's like, that's a bad plan. But what Buffy does know is that if Willow's running low on magics, she's probably somewhere right now trying to get more magics. And that's exactly right. She goes to see Rack. He's been expecting her because he could feel her power coming a mile away. He gets like real creepy, telling her she's all grown up, full of dark juice. (laughs) She still tastes like strawberries, but now she's ripe. He's definitely acting like sexy about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also acting like he's got the power in the situation, but I think we all know where this is going. Absolutely. I read his thing a little weird, like you're being very confident and aggressive and sexual here, but in the same token, she's been coming to him and she's in this super vulnerable, subservient position of him like giving her pleasurable spells. So he might be like used to, this is our relationship, I'm in charge. Yeah, I mean, he has no reason to suspect she might turn on him. I mean, I don't know his life. Maybe he's dealt with other willows and should have known better. But what's he going to do to stop her at this point, really? Yeah. I don't know how powerful he is. He seems like he's probably pretty powerful, too. Like, I think he, he been is. more prepared, maybe he could have fought her. I think that may have been the case, especially maybe not when she was at full power, but especially when she's like in this moment, because I think she's weakened because she spent a bunch of her energy. I just don't think he was ready for what she's going to do. He's just a human, right? 
It's never said, but I think the idea is that he's just a warlock. Yeah, he's a human. Like, his face is kind of messed up, so I wasn't sure if he's supposed to be, like, something else or not, or if he's just kind of worn and scarred and full of dark magic, so he doesn't look great. Well, he asks what she wants, and she tells him she's just here to take a little tour, you know, like he used to do to her, and she definitely just sucks all the life and power out of him. It's interesting because he sort of is a villain, but he wasn't like actively a bad guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he never did anything we saw that was like actively like murdering people. But like, I think the impression is that he's running. He's a drug. Like, yes. He's, he's stringing people out on drugs. Yes. Yeah. Magic like, drugs. Ruining so he's people's not, lives. Yeah. Now, a little earlier at Spike's house, we see that Clem is deep into a chip taste test. <laughs> but he can tell that Dawn is not as into this. She's distracted by what her friends are doing, what Will is doing. He offers to take her to a PG-13 movie, but Dawn's got a better idea. She wants to use Clem's demonness to try to track down Rack's place. Remember, it moves. You can only find it if you're a demon or a witch or something. Clem hates this. He says Rack has a thing against the floppy-eared. We never really dive into that, and he's dead now, so we probably never will. That's what the whole next season's about. <laughs> but Clem agrees to help Dawn. So right after Willow's done with her tour de rack, Dawn... <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> no one's funnier. Say it. No one's funnier. No one I've ever dated is. No other people I know are. Well, that other girl you dated who thought she was the funniest girl you ever dated is listening, and she's so sad right now. I don't think I've ever dated anyone besides you who would report themselves as funny. <laughs> report themselves. I meant to say, like, describe themselves or self-report it. I don't know. It was a weird way to say that. <laughs> Stacy, reporting for funny. <laughs> so right after Willow's done with her tour to Rack, Dawn and Clem arrive in Rack's lobby. Nervous Clem waits in the lobby while Dawn goes in the back, thinking she might find Willow, but she finds a dead Rack hanging upside down and a dark Willow who's now got, like, veins running through her face. How is he hanging? I don't know. Is he, he's not hanging by his hands bound behind his back, is he? I don't know that we see his hands. We you need mean, to look this up. Because, Rory suggested? Yeah. I don't think that's the case, but if he is, that's fucking weird. Okay, we double-checked. His hands are not bound. It's not a reference. But, Amy, you missed one. You should have tortured Mitchum, however this guy's name. <laughs> but uh, can we talk about Willow's face veins? Is that... So I was, like, trying to figure out if that's what's going on with Rack. But Rack's more just, like, kind of wrinkly. But I'm like, is this because you took magic from Rack that your face is fucked up? Or is this just something that's going to happen the more dark magic you put in you? I don't know. It's, like, going to ruin your body. Is the idea, like, like drugs going to ruin your body? That's a good question. I would say, yeah, I think it is just like dark magic corrupts you and it would corrupt your appearance too. But Dawn sees her face and what she's done and she's like, uh-oh, you're back on the magics. Willow's like, no, I am the magics. I hate that they call it magics. I don't know why. Is that a thing? I don't know, but they do. Dawn wants to get out of there, but Willow doesn't want her to go get Buffy. So she keeps teleporting in front of the door to stop her. Is she teleporting now or is she still thunderclouding? I mean, it could be either way. Thunderclouding probably works quickly in like a short distance. Like they don't really say if. Now but it could what also she's just be fucking do. with their perception. Yeah. She could be projecting herself. She's not actually over there. She's projecting herself there, or they just see that she's there, or they think they're moving and they're not. Maybe because she's absorbed rack, she can. That's she's the, leveled up now. I think that's definitely implied, right? Because she does undeniably teleport in the scene at the end of it. So she has clearly leveled up after sucking up his energy. I think it's sort of like Highlander style, where like she was powerful, but Rack was also powerful. Maybe the same power, maybe even more powerful than her, but did not expect her to like betray him like that. And now she's like absorbed his abilities as well. 
I mean, because they even say in the next scene, like, she's, like, the strongest witch in the Northern Hemisphere. So she really did. I feel like that was supposed to let us know she got a huge upgrade. Dawn tries to pull on Willow's heartstrings a little bit, saying she misses Tara, too. But Willow's doing is only going to make things worse, which almost seems to work a little bit, I think. Like, it seems like Willow is Willow for, like, a brief second at the mention of Tara. But then she threatens to turn Dawn back into a ball of energy to stop her from crying and whining all the time. And we're both like, okay, Willow. Go on. Yeah, maybe I'm on Team Willow now. Let's get rid of this Dawn business. (laughs) Do you think that they're trying to show us that Willow is just that evil now? That she would kill Dawn if that's what it takes? Or do you think she wants to harness Dawn's energy for more power? So many questions. Part of me thinks she's turning back into energy. And part of me is like, do you want to just absorb it? Because that would be, I mean, Dawn's got to be a crazy amount of energy. Yeah, I mean, we still don't really know what Dawn is. So it could be a risk. But like, I've been wondering that all along. Like, why isn't someone still after Dawn? It's possible she's useless, unless it's the specific purpose that Gloria was going to use her for. Right. It could also just be the case that Willow is enjoying the, like, psychological turmoil she's giving Dawn. She, like, enjoys how she's making Dawn feel. Yeah. By Is this a question we get an answer to? I don't think so, no. I think that's an interesting question. It could have been read like she was just getting off on telling Dawn what she thinks of her. Yeah. Well, we don't find out, because Buffy walks in. How did Buffy find Rack's place? That is not answered, and I'm conf- maybe Anya helps her? Sure. Yeah, that could be, because we don't really see Buffy leave the magic box. Right. It's just her talking to Xander, and then she ends up here. That's a good call. Gotta be Anya, even though we don't have it said. Well, so we never see Clem again. <laughs> is he just still in that lobby? Yeah, that's a good question, too. More on this later. Meanwhile, in Africa, <laughs> a sh- <laughs> just a little bit of this. A shirtless Spike is about to begin his first trial, which is fighting to the death a much larger man with fire fists. They fight for a while. Spike gets a lot of burns, but eventually is able to snap this guy's neck. Was this dude a demon? Because he shouldn't be able to hurt humans, but maybe the chip rolls are out the windows for trials? Yeah, I'm assuming he was some sort of demon. Or not even real. I guess he could have been a vampire, but they didn't go vamp. Why didn't Spike go vamp regardless? Yeah, that's a great question. Why did he not go vamp? Makeup guy doesn't go to Africa. (laughs) Spike thinks he's passed the test and can get what he came here for. But the big, scary, dark demon with just gorgeous, glowing blue eyes (laughs) informs Spike that he's only passed the first stage. Spike, what part of trials did you not understand? Yeah, also, like, I would never assume. I'm assuming three. Yeah, for sure. And also, you beat up one little tough dude. Like, that's. He was a big tough dude. Did you think you get any wish after beating up one dude? Yeah, you beat up one dude all the time. Not me. No, you would never beat up any dudes. Not I would never stop at one. No. You're the strongest man I've ever dated. Stop it. <laughs> I knew you're funny. That okay, could so. be true. I don't date <laughs> big, strong guys. <laughs> Except for me. Back at the magic shop, Anya and Xander are doing their best to translate the spell book. Jonathan chimes in that he thinks the text is actually Babylonian, not Sumerian. Xander's like, cool, we still hate you. Sit down. And she's like, why are you helping them? Even if they take care of Willow, they're not just going to let us go free. We're in a magic shop. We can use supplies to try to get out of here. We could start over. We could be the duo. You could be the leader. I like taking orders. (laughs) I like that because that makes a lot of sense, I think. He just liked Warren bossing him around. Right. I also think he liked Warren. Yes. But I think he likes powerful men. I think that's true. Because he seems to have sort of a soft spot for Spike, too. Jonathan's like, you want an order? And he grabs him by the lapels and pushes him up against the bookshelf and tells him to grow up. 
Through Star Wars buzzwords, Andrew tries to suggest that Willow might not stop with him and Jonathan. She might come after her friends, too. Xander's like, no way. Willow would never hurt us. And he's like, eh, she didn't really care if you lived or died in that car earlier. Xander's like, well, then the two of you have something in common then. And Anya tells him that she cares if he lives or dies. She's just not sure which one. And he's like, look, things might start to look a little life and death with this Willow situation. And Anya's like, so let me guess, you're going to propose? It's a pretty good burn. I called the joke. I like made the joke that he was going to propose like as she said Yeah, it. you did. She did, everybody. Tell him, at least Stacey is Anya. very funny. She's the second funniest woman I've ever dated. Oh, no. <laughs> did you just remember another one and didn't tell me? Yeah. You don't remember when I dated uh, Maria Bamford for, <laughs> I did not. We did walk her to her hotel though. We did. But no, he's not going to propose. He just wants to make sure that Anya is not going to use this opportunity to do some kind of revenge on him. She's like, trust me, I would love to do that, but I physically cannot. This is kind of a cute scene. Like, she's still very mad at him. I wouldn't say they reconcile in this scene by any means, but they are right. like speaking about how they feel. I don't know. I thought it was nice. She tells him that none of this would be happening if it weren't for him. And she means all the bad stuff between the two of them, but he takes it to mean all the stuff with Willow and tells her how guilty he feels for not being able to stop Warren when he saw the gun. And Anya doesn't really relieve him of the guilt, but it's not your fault, Xander. He had a gun. What could you have done? Well, he says that when he saw Warren, he saw he had a gun, but like just like froze and didn't think to say anything before, you know, Warren raised it and shot. But like... Still... That wouldn't have saved Tara, because Tara was sort of killed by a random bullet. Buffy didn't have something to, like, stop Warren with in that split second. I mean, if they would have moved Warren afoot, it might have saved Tara. Sure. Hit the house. Yeah, but those are all, like, ifs, buts, maybes. Yeah, I'm just like, Xander, even if you told Buffy, like, he was going to start shooting as soon as Buffy looked at him. Absolutely. Buffy can't teleport. Not at her level. No. We're back at Rex. Buffy tells Willow she wasn't going to hurt Don, but I don't know. Buffy tries to reason with Willow and remind her that she's still Willow. But Willow's like, yeah, old Willow's a loser. The only thing I ever had going for me was those moments where Tara would look at me like I was wonderful, and that's never going to happen again. Buffy's like, I totally get that, but if you stay on this path, you're going to lose everything. Your friends, yourself, there's just so much to live for. And Willow's like, shut up, you hate this world just as much as I do. You were happiest when you were dead. You're mad at me for bringing you back. And then she points out a bunch of shitty things Buffy's done this season. But as she's saying all this, they are somehow traveling to the magic shop. Like, the frame is sort of spinning, and at some point the background stops being racks and starts being the magic shop. So I guess that could have been in the thundercloud, but probably was teleporting. Dawn faints from the intensity of this magic. Buffy's not doing great, but seems to handle it a bit better. They both get up eventually. I like Willow's line. It just seems so smug and perfect. She's like, the trip can be a lot, you know, if you're not me. <laughs> yeah. She sees Jonathan and Andrew start shooting magic at them, but it doesn't do anything because Anya seems to have figured out the anti-magic spell. Not sure how. Maybe once they figured out it was a different language, they found the right translation book. I'm guessing. They were not very far in that process last time we checked in. She's like hiding up front with the book, chanting this whole time. Willow assumes that Andrew and Jonathan have put some kind of spell on themselves to protect themselves against magic, so she puts a spell on herself to make herself super strong so she can beat them to death. Just to clarify, a spell won't work on them. A spell will work on her, and she's just going to use the laws of physics to kill them. Yes. She demonstrates this by easily flipping over that big table of books, and then Buffy stands in front of her and says, I don't want to hurt you, and then Willow just punches Buffy across the room. Buffy's like, I said I didn't want to. 
I didn't say I wouldn't. And then she slaps her into a glass case. Oh, it's on. Yeah, probably didn't feel good. So Xander collects Don, Jonathan, and Andrew to get them to safety. He tries to bring Anya along, but she says she needs to stay there and keep doing the anti-spell on Willow to save Buffy. She tells Xander to go and do something right. So they go. By the way, Andrew and Jonathan, when Willow showed up, have both grabbed swords. So they're running and running. Xander doesn't really know where they're going to go. They stop for a breather. Andrew suggests they escape to Mexico. He doesn't want to wait for Willow or Buffy to decide their fate. And he's kind of over being ordered around by Xander. You'd think he'd be into that. (laughs) But he threatens Xander at sword point. Sword point. Until Jonathan threatens Andrew at sword point. They're at a medieval standoff. (laughs) Eventually, Jonathan convinces him to put down the sword by poking him kind of hard and tells him that Xander's right. Once this is all over, they're going back to jail to do their time. I don't know if you realize how much time that is, Jonathan. I mean, I think Jonathan's resigned that he did bad things and he's remorseful. Yeah. And Jonathan didn't kill that woman. No, but not reporting. It's got to be something. And they also like robbed a bank. Yeah, you're right. And freeze raid a man. They tried to rob an armored vehicle. To be fair, they didn't rob a bank. Uh, A demon did who brought them the stuff. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That's true. Maybe they won't be in jail that long. So here we are, says Willow. Are we really doing this, says Buffy. Willow's like, yeah, all those years as a sidekick, now I get to be the slayer. And Buffy's like, a killer isn't a slayer. You don't know what it means to be a slayer, girl. And Willow's like, oh, Buffy, you really need to have every inch of your ass kicked. Maybe she does. Maybe she does. I don't know. Buffy does... I, there's something about Buffy's character that I can't talk about because it's going to be talked about at some point. But I do think it isn't a bad idea to have one of Buffy's friends kick her ass. Yeah, that's out of context. That sounds insane. But we will discuss it at some point later. Buffy's not not arrogant. Yeah, I mean, she's a real character with flaws. I'm not saying I'm rooting for Willow in this situation, but I see Willow's point of view. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Buffy is arrogant, but she's a hero, and she's right a lot of the time. So yes. (laughs) it's like, I get it. And if you're a little arrogant, that's fine. You have saved the world a billion times, and your life is very stressful. So Yeah, I just want to make it clear I'm not shitting on Buffy's character. but like Pro-Buffy, but that's... Maybe maybe she could get her ass kicked every once in a while. Just a reminder, her ass can be kicked. Yeah. Not that she doesn't get her ass kicked, like, all the time. But it's been a while, so today's the day. Buffy's like, show me what you got, and I'll show you what a slayer really is. So they fight. This is new. We don't really know how strong Willow is, but I'm guessing she's not as strong as, like, Warren with the orbs. Tough to say. I don't know. I, I don't know. That, we don't know what she did, but I feel like Buffy should be better at fighting since Willow hasn't really trained to fight that much. Unless she quick downloaded a book on fighting into her brain like she did with all those other books. It's so tough to say, though, because, like, magic, you're, all bets are off if when it's a spell. you Like, the orbs just endowed you with strength and invulnerability. But like a spell, we don't know what spell she put on herself. She might have put like, I'm the best Kung Fu master spell. Like She should have thrown an invulnerability spell in there too. I mean, she maybe did. She's also still kind of using some magic to make like books fall on Buffy yeah. and stuff. I don't really know how that's possible if Anya's still doing. I think Anya's doing the protection spell. So it, I'm going to guess you just like, she couldn't hurt Buffy with a spell, but she could with affect. magic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Eventually, Buffy pushes Willow up to the front of the store where she finds Anya chanting. I don't think Buffy knew Anya was there either, or she maybe wouldn't have done that. Because Buffy got teleported into the back just like Willow. Right. So Willow grabs Anya by the throat, tosses her across the room. Again, what does it take to kill Anya? Like, could she choke her to death? If she threw her against the wall hard enough, would that kill her? I don't know. Anya's just getting tossed around a lot these last couple episodes. It's not easy to kill her, though. I know that. 
unclear if she's willing to kill her. We don't really ever confirm in this episode that she's down to actually kill any of these people. Like right. she didn't get close to killing Dawn. She was just saying Other than the two people she has made it expressly clear that she will kill. Yes. Willow's like, Buffy, I get it now. The Slayer thing really isn't about violence. It's about the power. I don't really get that line because it's not like before Willow thought it was about the violence. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I get the, the power part, but I thought that was a weird line. But now that Anya's down, there's no one in the world with the power to stop Willow. Willow says as much. And then, boom, flash of green light. Willow goes flying through the air. What? Who? Who? What? Superman? Who, who did this? Goku? Who is it? It's Giles uh, at the door, new haircut, saying, I'd like to test that theory. Bam. I don't know if he got a haircut, but he looks nice. Yeah. So many questions. Number one, when Willow said that no one had the power to stop her, I imagine the door was closed. So did Giles hear her somehow? Like he comes in and finishes her line that he didn't hear. Maybe he was going to say that regardless of what they were talking about. <laughs> I'm working on some entrance lines. What would be good to say? Maybe I'm going to stop killing people. I'd like to test that theory. <laughs> After Tara, I'll never find someone to love again. I'd like to test that theory. <laughs> she did have a crush on Giles once. I've got a theory. I'd like to test that <laughs> Is I mean, he seems to be somewhat magic now. Maybe he can hear through doors. Yeah, that's his power. Number two, what's this magic he's doing? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. You could. And number three, how'd he get there so fast? Can he That's teleport now? Is he leveled up? Because this has all been one day. Yeah. So it's not like he heard about this, jumped on a plane. It, like, it would take a day it, to get there. I think from here to London is maybe like a six-hour flight. So mm -hmm. it's probably like a 12-hour flight to California. Yeah, no way he could have heard about it and come today. He was already on his way here if he took a plane. I hope the next episode illuminates that a bit for us. I, I would like so it too. if they just didn't explain it. It's like, yeah, Giles has always been able to throw energy balls. I like that he said Sonic Boom before he did it. That was really cool. That did not happen. So I knew that Giles might show up, mostly because of the intro. Because, I mean, they included the fact that he was leaving. But, I mean, it, it wasn't really a spoiler having that in the intro because they were just sort of summarizing the season. And that was a big thing. That sort I mean, of that affected. would explain why he's not there. Yes. Yes. If you didn't tune into any of season six, it would be helpful to put that information in. But it did sort of plant that in my mind. But I wasn't like thinking about that the whole episode. I did think of him when the Sumerian came up. But then when Willow goes flying and they're like, what could it be? Who did that? I mean, he's obviously like a prime suspect. Yeah. Who's it's got to be someone we've met before. It's like Oz or Jenny Calendar back from the dead. I guess it could have been like Jonathan, maybe cross my mind. I, yeah, I guess it could have been. Yeah. And he like doubled back. Yeah. But it it was Giles and I was happy and I was mostly surprised. Uh, another thing that was in the intro that they didn't address, maybe they will in the second part, is Dawn's shoplifting. Mm -hmm. They like readdress that. They do point out when she's on her way to Rax that he's going to want something in exchange. And she's like, I've got money. I don't know why she has money. But I was like, is that why we said that? So maybe they'll do more of that in the second part. Um, Brian, is this a good episode? Yes, of course this is a good episode, you crazy person. I have to ask. It's what we do. Yeah, I like this episode a lot. Seeing Dark Willow, she's just such a fun character because it's just so different than regular Willow. And it's it's fun in a way that Vampire Willow isn't. Vampire Willow is also super fun. But like this Willow plays with people in a psychological way that Vampire Willow doesn't, I think. I feel like Vampire Willow is a little bit more childlike almost. Yeah. In her evil. And this evil's just all like, oh, yeah, I'm going to 
go after your anxieties. I can't remember how she is in Doppelgangland, but in The Wish, she's like not the alpha. She's like working for the master. Right. I think she's pretty high up in his like staff. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what word am I looking for? She's like assistant manager. Corporate ladder. <laughs> yeah, she's VP for sure. Uh, vice pyre. <laughs> she's vice pyre for sure. <laughs> She's high up there, but she no, she wasn't the important one. It's just so fun having this like character change, but also like getting Willa to say stuff she would never normally say. Um, it's also fun to have a, a witch, you know, like we had a witch in episode two, and a witch is such a staple for like evil creatures that go bump in the night. And we've had one and a couple spells. Amy's been a back, but not really, not in a big way. So it's fun to be like, oh no, witches are big deals and they're dangerous, and here we go. Yeah, I kind of predicted that this would all end with Willow and Amy having some kind of showdown. Like, I knew Willow would be magic again. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no way that wasn't going to come back. But I thought it might be for good. I didn't see it going this way. And we've also talked about this in the last podcast, but the writing of the whole season, which seemed disjointed at points, is all just coming together. Like, it's all making sense. And, like, I don't know. I liked Doyle's, like, no, we should feel bad. Because he wasn't a villain villain. I mean, he was doing bad things and deserves some comeuppance for that. But I know I say comeuppance a lot. Some judgment for that. But, like, at the end of the day, he isn't an evil person. Did you say Jonathan or Andrew? I said Jonathan, I thought. I was talking about Jonathan. Okay. And it's really cool that Jonathan is, like, accepting it and, like, trying to help them help him and Andrew. I was expecting them to take Jonathan's help, but I guess I see why they aren't. But, like, when he's offering to translate, I was like, maybe do that, though? But he could do a spell on them. Like, they've been evil all season. I don't blame them not trusting him. What did you think of the episode? It was good. Um, Yeah, it was really uh, suspenseful, I guess. Like, tense. Just, like, not really knowing how dark Willow was going to go. We don't know that she won't try to kill her friends. That scene with her and Dawn is so intense. Yeah. And, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't know who else dies before the end of the show. Like, Dawn could have, I guess. And would have that been crazy? Yeah. Anya could have, you know, like, I don't know that all these characters have plot armor, especially this late in the season. Like, all that was super intense. The Terminator, like, stuff was super intense. Like, her attack on the police station and then the car. Yeah, her levitating up was pretty cool. I did think the car chase, I've never, TV car chases never, ever impress me. I feel like you really feel the limitations of a TV show's budget when there's a car chase. It never seems as intense. I think probably because they don't want to do crazy stunt work. But I still think they did a really good job of like, it's, it felt like Willow was on top of the truck. Yeah. Chasing after them. And it was intense and cool. Yeah, I like the evolution of Jonathan's character. And that's been slowly happening for a while. I don't know why Andrew's so like steadfast. We don't really know him as well. Like we knew Warren a bit before. We knew Jonathan a lot before. Yeah. So it's just, we don't know Andrew's like base personality. Right. And we never will. I don't believe it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to see, well, obviously what happens with Giles. Great to see him. They've got a lot to catch up on, but they're kind of in the middle of some, so we'll see what happens. Um, but also I'm interested to see how they redeem Willow, because I assume she's in season seven and she's not just going to be like evil. But it will be a little weird to be like, oh yeah, remember that time in the woods you skinned that guy in front of us? That was a wild weekend. I mean, it's one of those things where you can forgive her for killing the person that killed her lover i think that's if anybody killed the person that killed their lover you'd be like that was wrong but like i get it like you go into like a blood rage yeah 
and they deserve punishment. What you did, they didn't deserve the punishment you decided to dole out necessarily. It was object, it was subjective punishment, but I get it. So I think you could, and Warren was objectively an evil man. Yeah. I think that I didn't really give him any redeeming qualities. So him dying, it's not like, oh, well, you killed a guy who was okay. It was like, no, you, you killed a villain monster man. And it's an easy way that Buffy doesn't have to kill him. And Willow's also, in addition to being so rage-filled, she's under the influence of magic, which they've mapped onto drugs. So she's not herself. So you, I feel like this is all stuff you could forgive. Oh, yeah, that's interesting that they could just be like, it was the drugs. Like, if I were to sell your some of your prized possessions or some, like, heirlooms of yours for heroin money because I was, like, fiending, it's something you'd be furious at me for, but, like, some part of your brain would understand it wasn't just some horrible thing I did because I wanted to do it. It's because I was so addicted to this drug. Yeah, and they did successfully keep her from doing anything more in this episode. Absolutely. I would say, so far... She has done nothing that is irredeemable so far. Yeah, that's fair. So far. It's still going to be awkward. Yeah, it's not going to be like, we hug them, we're done. Skip back to high school. What? Why are they going to high school? Well, they, they, I don't know. They're just going to check it out. <laughs> Look at this dump. It's a <laughs> hole in the ground. They're just, they're skipping somewhere and it's sunny out. And okay. They're happy again. Willow's got pigtails. Yeah, it ends a lot like uh, The Wizard of Oz. They don't skip at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I met in the middle of the Wizard of Oz when they speak. (laughs) It ends like the way the Wizard of Oz is in the middle. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. You're totally right. I'm dumb. I don't know word good. I don't know show. I don't know book. Wow. (laughs) You're the smartest guy I've ever dated. What? (laughs) Okay, we should go. We need to end this relationship uh okay so which episode we have to decide now and these are both good which episode do you think was better i think it's buffy it is hard after talking about gilmore girls i was like it is so funny and it had that emotional stuff but i think there's like more places to take off points from gilmore girls because they're not explaining what's happening with lorelei in this episode really like how did she get here from the last episode what does she mean at the end i'm sure some of those questions will be answered but maybe some won't. And yeah, it just wasn't quite the same level of good overall. They're so different. It's hard to compare them. I know, right? Because Buffy had some humor, but it was not like a funny episode at all, really. And it was so interesting to be like, yeah, well, we're comparing it about uh, to a very funny Gilmore. Uh, but I'm going to have to go Buffy, too. Again, great Gilmore. would have beaten a lot of other Buffys. Yeah, like Gilmore, I think, both had the heartstrings and the jokes for me more than Buffy mm-hmm. did. But I don't know. Giles coming at the end? Come on. Very good, Gilmore, though. I liked you. It's not fair. It's not fair to you, Gilmore. (laughs) Buffy was just like a very edge of your seat episode. Yeah. Well, guys, if you'd like to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 22, Grave. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 22, Partings. Both of those titles sound depressing. They do. Those sound bad for everybody. <laughs> they do not sound like things are going great. No one is going to be skipping off into the distance at the end, just like in Wizard of Oz. <laughs> this middle-ish book part. I keep saying book. It, it is a book. It but is a book. It's also <laughs> it's, a movie. It's a movie. That's most people experience it via the movie. I have read the book. I don't remember if it ends with skipping. I, okay, just for over-communication's sake, everyone, at the end of Hyperion, the book, there's a reference to the Wizard of Oz, and they all sort of, like, skip while singing the Wizard of Oz. 
And that is what I'm thinking of, of an ending, although that is very esoteric and no one would know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, that's where it came from. In the meantime, we'd love your to hear your knowledge of Wizard of Oz is based on another book? <laughs> no, just that scene. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Like, is Willow redeemable? Would Willow have killed Dawn? And if so, was it for her energy or just because she kind of hates her a little bit? Is Rory still working at that paper? <laughs> Did she just quit? Did she just not show up someday? What do you guys think happened? Do you guys remember that she works there? Do you think that TJ should forgive Liz so easily? What is with that scene with Luke talking about how you need to understand what your partner's feeling, not what they're saying? Do you think the show was telling us that, look at this huge blind spot Luke doesn't realize he has? Or is that supposed to allude to something that Luke does do this? Like, what did, what did that scene mean to you? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. Sorry, if we don't respond to those, please know that we do read them and we love them and I will respond to them all eventually. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Stacy, where, like we said, we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. For more non-podcast content, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing by the link found at the bottom of this episode description or in our social media bios. Please subscribe to our TikTok and like some of our videos because for some reason a lot of them don't get seen. We don't know why. The algorithm, man. Who knows? The algorithm. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout out in an upcoming podcast. All right. Let's go make a list of all the reasons you're the best boyfriend I've ever had. I don't want to be the best. I just want to be the funniest. No, I thought you were going to say we can make a list of all the reasons I'm the best, too. But I guess this is about you today. I have a list already, and it's filled It's so many things. Hmm. We do like each other, guys, but not love. <laughs> no, it stops at like, uh, love you, Stacey. You're so funny. You're so funny, Brian. I love you, too. Bye, guys. Bye. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer.